Now I had a, uh, I'm a communication teacher and I had like a sort of trying to be funny intro like hook thing that you're supposed to have at the beginning, but honestly, after that worship, it just doesn't, it seems silly. Um, that was awesome. Let's give it up for the worship band. Thank you guys. That was awesome. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Matt Marble. Uh, I'm a football coach at Blue Springs High School. I'm a teacher there. Uh, I'm a trustee of this church. Um, not the pastor of this church. If you're just joining us for the first time today, this is, this is a difficult time. Uh, difficult time in our church. Last week, our senior pastor resigned. Uh, it was an incredibly difficult decision for him and his family and a difficult one for this church. Um, there wasn't any moral failure. There was no like scandal or anything like that. Uh, he wasn't forced out. None of the trustees or staff wanted him to resign. And you can ask our families, you can ask our families if that's true. Because over the last 11 days, they haven't seen very much of us at all. Um, I can't tell you how many times over the last 11 days, my daughters have come up to me and wanted to play, but I got to take a phone call or we got to do something, you know, write some emails, prepare for this, and said, sorry, I can't, can't play right now. Um, last night, last night we were sitting around as a family before the girls went to bed, and uh, there was a little time of prayer, and my oldest daughter, Sienna, who's going to be a part of a story I'm going to share later, it got to her turn, and she was praying, and she said, God... I hope Daddy does well tomorrow so he doesn't regret all the time he didn't get to spend with us this week. Um, and so naturally, I, I just started crying all over the bean bag that I was laying down on. Um, but it's been rough. Um, trustees have made it around to, to most all the life groups. Uh, and <clears throat> we got a meeting this Tuesday to continue to work through all these things. Uh, and, and we understand we understand this is a difficult time. Scott Hatfield discerned it was time for him and his family to step away. We need to respect that, respect and trust what God was telling him. Now, I'm not here to, today to go into all that. Um, that's not what God's laid on my heart. And that might be frustrating for some people in here. Uh, you know, you might be uh, angry about that, that I'm not going to go into a lot of that. Um, I would ask to just suspend that anger and that frustration, okay, until, until the service is done. If you want to come up afterwards and be angry and frustrated with me, you can. Um, I do have a lot of football players up there that like me most of the time that are sitting back up there, which I, I see a lot of guys who haven't been here before, guys, and I just, I really appreciate it. That means a lot to me. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> But all I can do is speak what, what God has laid on my heart for this moment, for this time, for our church. I know the past two weeks have been emotional and, and probably confusing. I know there's been fear, there's been anxiety. I get that. There's a thought that keeps running through my head, and it's, it's, kinda, it's, it's run through my head this whole week. And that is, God is not done using the people of Gateway to minister to the people in our community. He's not. There's no way he's done using Gateway to speak life 
and truth into our community. He's not done with Joe Maloney, Doug Benjamin, all the guys who spend time with the full life ministry, celebrate recovery and all that. He's not done with that. Last night, Doug was working on behalf of the Lord. Zach Butler was right alongside him and they were working on behalf of the Lord. Jimmy and Emily Armstrong, the Crandalls, and everybody who's involved in treasured ministry, they've brought so many, so many children into loving homes in our church. Not done with that. Not done with Megan Truax, the Fooies, the Pals, all those people that are involved in, in mercy ministry. It's not done. Not done with that. Changing people's lives meeting them where they're at, helping them with what they need. He's not done with that. Fan and steals and everybody who go out and meet with people who are in their lowest and darkest times with health things going on or death in the family, he's not done with that. Sharon Alexander, Mary Ludwig, Sean Ryan, Amy Delaney, everybody who volunteers with Kids Quest. Last spring... My daughter, Sienna, accepted Christ because of the ministry and Kids Quest and a lot of people pouring into her. He's not done with that. He's not done with Logan Sterling, the Butlers, everybody that's involved, the Gillilands and TPX. He's not done with that. I was there on Wednesday uh, and, and, and I saw a whole bunch of kids, teenagers, having a great time, learning about God, sharing what God's doing in their life. They had a time when they just shared all the things where they had stepped out of their comfort zone to help people throughout the week. He's not done with that. Some of you have asked us this week as trustees, a lot of people have emailed and asked, how can I get involved? How can, how can I help? What can I do? Kids Quest and TPX, it's a great way to invest in what God is doing. God is moving in those areas. So if you, if, you wanna, if you wanna get in the game, talk to Sharon Alexander. Talk to Logan Sterling. There's ways to get in the game. He's not done with that. The worship team, okay, the ministry that, that Coach Wilson and his wife have with the students at Blue Springs High School and a whole lot of teachers in here. There's a whole lot of teachers in various ways. Dan Sundberg, not done with that. All the women in our church, they do the spark and the if in the Proverbs 31. He's not done moving through that. The missions teams, Financial Peace University. One of the most encouraging things I saw last week was after the service, I saw Derek Wilson, Wendell Fuimono, and Kelly Geyer sitting right up there in the bleachers planning the next Man Up event, which is going to be awesome. God's not done with us living out our vision statement of know Christ, make him known, enjoy the journey. He's not. You're not gonna be able to convince me that he's done with that. Now, as I said before, uh, this past week, it's been confusing and emotional. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna look at a time when God's people 
were facing something that didn't make sense. A time when they thought they knew what God's plan was and it wasn't what they expected. Um, we're going we're gonna to look in Exodus 14. Okay, if you've got your Bibles or a Bible app or something like that, you can turn that. We will have some, some verses that will come up on the screen. Um, but we're going to be in Exodus 14. Now, this is the story, okay, of the Red Sea. Now, everybody, okay, has, has heard that story before. Okay, even if you didn't grow up in the church, okay, you've seen it in movies. It's, it's one of those that just, in general, people know about the parting of the Red Sea. Okay, we, we know that story. We've seen it. How many of you have seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Have you seen that? Some of you are like, I have no idea who that is. I'm kind of like in an in-between stage right now where I know like mature people stuff, wise people stuff, and then I also know like things that are going on with, with kids. So I'm like stuck in the middle. So we used to have, my dad used to have that movie on Laserdisc. If any of you remember what Laserdiscs were? We used to have those. They're like, for you young people, they're like DVDs, but they're like record size, and they were 10 pounds a piece. Um, we used to have that. Now, we know the story. The Israelites have been released by the Egyptians after miraculous things have happened. Okay, God delivered them. They saw sign after sign, and God moving in the midst of their people. Sign after sign. God was on their side to deliver them. They're released. Okay, they walk out of Egypt. And then the Pharaoh decides to pursue them again go after them. Now, before we get to 14, okay, there's something that uh, was pointed out to me by a, a friend of Gateway, someone that doesn't go here but, but has a heart for its people. Uh, and he pointed out to me in chapter 13, there's some interesting things that happened at the beginning of, uh, of this whole story. Okay, so it's, it's, it's not going to be up here right now, but if you have your Bible, you can follow along. But I'm going to read 13, uh, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said, if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Verse 18, so God led the people around the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made uh, the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to our aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving uh, Succoth, they, came, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them with a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And at night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of its people. Okay, a couple things from that. And one of them just, just kind of hit me today, but uh, as I was, we were driving here. Okay, in verse 17, when it says, God led them on the road, did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said, if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God wasn't going to give them more than they could bear. He said, if this happens, if I lead them here, they might not be able to handle it. So we're going to lead them someplace else. We're going to lead them someplace else. Because he knew what they could handle and what they couldn't. Then it says in verse 18, so God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. He led them toward the Red Sea. Okay, keep that in mind. We're gonna come back to that. Okay, and also, in the later verses, 21 and 22, it talks about the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. These people literally had a physical presence in front of them. God leading them with a physical presence by day and by night. 
He was in front of them the whole time. He was in front of them the whole time. So we're going to keep those things in mind. Let those things uh, be working as, as we dive into the story a little bit. So they find themselves in a situation then in chapter 14 where the Egyptian army is behind them, the Red Sea is in front of them. Okay, their reality, what they could see going on seemed hopeless. Got one of the best armies in the world behind them, they got the Red Sea in front of them. Their reality seemed hopeless. Let's see what happens. In verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Fear set in. Uncertainty. They saw the reality around them and extreme anxiety hit. Many of us know what that's like the past week. Or if you're new here, I bet you at some point in your life, your reality has hit like that. And fear is set in. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you can think of that specific time where the reality you're in really scares you. You're terrified because it doesn't seem like there's any good option, no good outcome. You've got the enemy behind you. You've got an obstacle in front of you. It seems insurmountable. What else happened to the people? See in verse 11 and 12. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. More doubt, more confusion. Now these are people who have seen God move time and time again in their midst to deliver them. They're finally released from the Egyptians. Okay, think, think back to that day. Okay, after all the, all the plagues and all, and all the craziness of that, all the signs they've seen from God, sign after sign. I imagine on that day when they're, when they're finally released that they're thinking, man, this is awesome. Do you see all those plagues? That was crazy. Frogs? Locusts? I hate locusts. That was disgusting. Crazy. We didn't want to talk about the last one. This has got to be God's plan. They had to be thinking, I know, I know what God's plan is. We walk out. We saw it. He released us. We walk out and we go forward. This has got to be God's plan. I got it, God. I understand. You're in front of us. You are, you are literally, we have a physical presence in front of us. This is the plan. Got it. Good to go. I know the plan. Let's go. They thought they understood God's ultimate sovereign plan. And then they get to this point we see in 11 and 12 where they're confused they're hurt, they're angry, they're scared. God, did you bring us all this way just to hurt us? Did you bring us all the way just to hurt us? We thought we knew your plan. How could this be happening? I know at times I've felt that this past week. I was on the pastor search committee. I know what I heard from God. You're not going to be able to convince me that that's a mistake. You're not going to be able to convince me it's a mistake. Where we are right now, you're not going to be able to convince me that that's not a part of a plan that I don't understand right now. You're not going to be able to convince me of that. Am I confused? Yeah. 
Do I fully understand what God's sovereign plan is? No. Would this be the plan that I would choose? Absolutely not. You can trust me on that. Do I trust there's a bigger picture that I don't have the ability to see? Yes. Absolutely. Let's see in verse 13. Moses answering the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. How difficult is that in the midst of a situation that seems like there's no good option? Not one. What do we, would you turn around and we fight the Egyptian, the Egyptian army? Okay, we're not going to do that. What are we, we going to swim across the Red Sea? I don't know the exact point where they uh, were at in terms of the width. I did look up in the, in, in the most narrow point on the Red Sea, 16 miles yeah, this isn't like a little river they were trying to cross. 16 miles. I never thought I would Google search like width of the Red Sea, but I got to do that this week. 16 miles. In this situation, they, they, they were incredibly confused. What do we do? Why are we here? This can't be the right plan, God. There's been a mistake. And Moses says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, we have, we have the luxury, we have the advantage to seeing this in Scripture to be able to know how the story ends. We know how the story ends, right? Red Sea parts. They walk through. The Egyptians, they don't make it. God's people make it through. We see that. Okay, in verse 28. Skipping to verse 28, it says, The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. None of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians laying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and his servant Moses. Now, Scripture can teach us and comfort us, okay, in, the, in that notes page that's in your, in your outline, okay, we don't have a lot written there, because we want you to write down what you hear from God, what He's speaking to you through this. Now, Scripture can teach us and comfort us, you know, sometimes for me, sometimes it seems a little bit of maybe, because uh, we have the whole picture, we have the whole story here that it seems like a little bit of a, a theory, okay? Well, that's good, that's nice. We know how the story ends, okay? But until kind of you, you have gone through the fire a little bit, then, uh, then maybe it just seems like a theory. Um, my wife and I, my wife Audrey and I and our family, we have experienced a time that's just like this, when we didn't understand what was going on and we were confused and we thought we knew what God's plan was. You ready? All right. Um, back in the fall of 2006, um, Audrey and I we were a young couple, younger couple, and we were uh, 
and we were wanting to start our family, okay? We, it, it was the right time. We felt it was the right time for us. And so uh, we knew we wanted to have children, and, and, and we, and we uh, started trying to have children. And, you know, usually you kind of get to certain stages in life, and, and, and you have friends that, uh, that it, it, it's kind of weird how it works out, that you all kind of get to the same point at the same time. And so we had, we had a whole bunch of friends who were, were doing that at the same time, okay? Starting the family. And... Uh, and you get together and you talk with them and, you know, it's, it's a time when there's lots of giggling. Like, oh, you're starting a family too? Oh, that's cool. Don't tell anybody. All right. Um, and for us, things, things didn't go according to our plan. Okay, there was lots of struggles. We would go month after month after month and nothing would happen. We'd go month after month after month. Other of our friends are... are, are are getting pregnant and they're excited and we're excited for them. It doesn't happen for us month after month after month. And it was difficult. We didn't understand it at the time. And so we go and after a year and a half, okay, we, we go to a uh, fertility doctor, okay, to start some procedures to try to make, uh, make those things happen. So we knew, we felt this is what we we're supposed to do. And so we went there. And after several rounds of things, okay, more months, Okay, go along. And then we try a specific procedure and it happens. And we're there at the doctor's office and he says, okay, three eggs were fertilized. But one of them, one of them just after fertilization, it was over. It was, okay, that happened and, and then it, and it stopped growing. And then he started laughing. We're like, okay, this is not... It's not really something that funny. I mean, I know it just, you know, that, why are you laughing? He's like, you're not going to believe this. The, uh, the, one of the eggs that was fertilized split into identical twins. He, he looked at us and said, I guess you're just supposed to have triplets. You were meant to have triplets. And it was this amazing, like, explosion of extreme joy and a little bit of fear. I mean, we were so excited. We went back to school and we both went to our separate schools. I'm like, okay, we can't tell anybody about this yet. And, and um, we're really, really excited. So excited, okay, that uh, I went out and bought a minivan. That day, I called Audrey on the phone and I was like, hey, um, I think I'm going to buy this minivan. And she's like, what? What, what are you talking about? If we're going to have three kids. We got to have, we got to have a minivan. It's just going to be a necessity. And this is a really good deal. So we went out and bought a minivan that day. So excited. Before Christmas time, we got to hear their heartbeats. Okay, we got a DVD of, of, of their heartbeats. And very, very exciting time. We shared it with our family they were all just blown away, so excited. We shared it with people that we taught with, shared it with close friends. It was amazing. It was incredibly exciting. Now, when we found out we were going to have triplets, uh, Audrey's uh, regular doctor said, mm, I'm not, I, don't, I don't mess with triplets. Okay, that's too, that's too risky. Not going to do it. You need to go someplace else. So we thought about it, prayed about it. Went down to St. Luke's on the Plaza that deals with high-risk pregnancies. Okay, we went down there and got hooked up with them. 
And they went through all the things and, and, and ways they have to deal with all this high-risk stuff. And they're building a new facility and all these things. And it was exciting. We were, we were incredibly excited. We knew what God's plan was. It was for us to have triplets. We were there one day for an ultrasound. And we go in there and, and, and we're all excited. We go there and the, uh, the ultrasound, ultrasound technician gets there and, and you know, gets all the, the gel out and all this sort of stuff and is moving it all over the place and Audrey's sitting there and, and she's just <clears throat> glowing um, and I'm sitting there and, I, and I'm watching the screen and they move, they move the, the little thing over where Sienna was. It's moving a little bit, heart beating, you can see it pulsating and going just a thousand miles a minute. Okay, then the Technician, she moves it over to where the twins are and moving it around a little bit. And then I see her quickly move it back over to Sienna and then moves it back over to the twins. Moves it back over to Sienna and over to the twins. And I started thinking this, okay, something looks a little bit different. Something looks a little bit different in these twins than it does with Sienna. And Audrey's sitting there and, and, and she's so excited about things that that she's not really looking very much up at the screen. And I look over, I'm a, I'm a communication teacher, and so I study people's communication, and I look over at the, at the ultrasound person working there, and I see her ever so slightly bite the corner of her lip. She does that, she moves it around a little bit more, bites the corner of her lip again. And I look at that, and I remember that, and I'm thinking, why is she biting the corner of her lip? And then I just asked her, I said, what about those twins' heartbeats? And I will never, I've, I've, I've seen her twice in my life, I would never forget her face. She looked over at me and she said, I'm so sorry. So sorry. And Audrey looks over at her and says, what? What are you talking about? She said, I'm so sorry. She just kept saying that, I'm so sorry. Their heart stopped beating. Probably just a day or so ago because of, of how big they are. And our whole world just came crashing down. We're angry, we're confused. No, you don't understand, okay? This is, no, no. What was supposed to happen, this is God's plan. This is what's supposed to happen is that we we're supposed to have triplets. This, that was God's plan. We are confused and we don't understand it. And we're mad and we're angry and we're just sitting in the room crying. Doctors come in. Okay, they talk to us. And after a while they say, okay, he started with us. You have the option. Can you, go, you can go back with your normal doctor since this is only a single pregnancy now. Which then when they said that, it just was like a knife just twisting in. You know, you can, you can go back to your regular doctor. You can stay here with us. You started with us. You can stay with us if you want to. We thought about it. We prayed about it. Said, we're going to stay with you. Okay, we're going to stay with you. All right. So the rest of that pregnancy with Sienna was a beautiful pregnancy. We were nervous every time we went into the ultrasound technician. We were just like, this anxiety was just terrible. But then every time, healthy, awesome, she looks great, it's perfect, it's wonderful <clears throat> from then on out. Okay, she was born and it was a, 
relatively easy delivery, it, right? I don't, I don't want to get hit, but okay. So, <clears throat> yeah. So it was, uh, everything was fine. She was born healthy, wonderful, no complications. It was great. Okay, fast forward. Three years later, pregnant with our second daughter, Livy. We have a decision to make. Okay, St. Luke says, hey, why don't, you, why don't you come back? You started with us before. There were some complications from the first pregnancy. Just come on back with us. Thought about it, prayed about it. Said, okay, we'll, we'll go back there. We started with them before. They took great care of us. We're going to go there. Pregnancy with Livy was no complications, no anything. It was wonderful. <clears throat> Livy is being born down there at St. Luke's. The second she is born, she takes her first breath and ingests this fluid that her lungs completely lock up right in her first breath, and she's laying there lifeless. Okay, she looks like the, the color of some of our chairs. Okay, the gray color, the color of the walls. And she immediately turned that and is laying there lifeless. We were at that specialized hospital. The nurse runs over, sees this, runs over. We see her hit this button on the wall. And within 30 seconds, there's a team of people that have rushed in and are working to try to save her life. And they wheel her over to Audrey. They wheel her over to Audrey. And they say, hold her hand real quick. Hold her hand. So she holds her hand for just about 10, 10 seconds. And then they're like, we got to go. We got to go. And they rush her out. And Audrey is laying there, and she's like, go, go. We're at this specialized facility that's used to high-risk pregnancies. <clears throat> they take her to this NICU, which is only about 30 yards away from our room. And there's a team of doctors already standing there, already scrubbed up, ready to go. And they start working on her. And tubes are going in, breathing tubes, and all these things, and, and IVs through the umbilical cord, and all these things. And I'm just sitting there watching this. And it's just a beehive of activity all around. Working to save her life. So they stabilize her. The doctor comes to us and says, okay, we did the best we could. Now it's, now it's up to her. We think we got to it soon enough. From that conversation on, there was an incredible turnaround that she had. So much so that a day later, she had pulled her breathing tube out on her own. If any of you know Livy, that's, that's her. And the nurse came in and was like, I, I, I freaked out because she pulled her breathing tube out. I don't know how a day-old day baby pulls their breathing tube out of their lungs. Uh, now, if you know Livy today, she is extremely intelligent if we had not been at that facility, if we had not been at St. Luke's on the Plaza, that high-risk facility, Livy would either be severely brain damaged today or she wouldn't be here. The thing that we thought was the worst experience in our life of knowing that we were gonna have triplets and then that being taken from us put us at the facility that saved our second daughter's life. You won't be able to convince me 
that God doesn't have a sovereign plan even when we don't understand it. We didn't understand it for three years. Every once in a while, something would pop up on the TV about, uh, that related something to that, and there were times where I would have to go in the other room, or one of us would have to leave and be like, I can't, oh, I can't handle that right now, because it kept bringing up what had happened. We didn't understand it. We were angry. We were confused. It was part of a sovereign plan. And we didn't understand it until three years later when we watched our daughter's life being saved. When we watched Livy's life being saved. Then we understood it. Sometimes we don't have the luxury of the whole picture. Sometimes we're standing in front of the Red Sea. The enemy behind us. Sometimes we're sitting in the hospital room holding the one we love, crying, because we don't understand how could this be a part of God's plan? How could this pain, this confusion, this heartache, how could that be a part of this plan? But here's the thing. Sometimes it is. Sometimes there's a bigger picture that we can't see and we can't understand. It might be three years down the road we understand it. It could be the Red Sea parting right in front of us. Will you have faith and trust in God. In our situation as a church, or whatever you might be going through today, will we have faith and trust in God so that we can stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord? Now one verse that we didn't go over, okay, the story of the Israelites facing the Red Sea. Let's look at verse 15, back into scripture. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on, on dry ground. When they didn't understand the plan, God told them to, to keep moving, keep going. Because our response, it's our responsibility to keep moving. It's God's responsibility to part the Red Sea. It's our responsibility to keep moving. It's God's responsibility to part the Red Sea. Now, when you look back in, in, in those verses, we, we, we did them out of order, but you look back, verse 14, right before that, said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. See, sometimes we've got to still that confusion, that fear, that anxiety, or that anger, whatever we might be going through. Sometimes we have to still that, be still with that, so then we can move on. So then we can move forward. Then we can move to what God has for us. It's not easy. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Audrey and I didn't want to go through what we did. It wasn't, it wasn't some choice that we made. If you would have told us in our moment of confusion and hurt and anger, if you would have told us, hey, just be still for a bit and just, just move on, I probably would have punched you. I'm not that good of a Christian. But if you would have told me that you would have been right, we didn't want that to be God's plan for us, but it was worth it. It was worth it. When I look 
When I look at Livy and I see and I see her smile, and sometimes it's very mischievous. Sometimes there's a scowl, if you know Livy at all. Sometimes there's there's a scowl or there's a little bit of I'm ready for a fight. She's got this life in her eyes that's contagious. Okay, when I when I look at her, I understand that that sometimes God's sovereign plan doesn't make sense. We don't have the ability, we don't have the ability to see the wonderful blessing that's coming three years down the road. Because we don't, we don't have the ability to see those things. The way forward starts with recognizing who sees the whole picture. Trusting in the one who knew the Israelites were going to be at the Red Sea, who we saw in chapter 13, it said that God led them there knew the Israelites were going to be at the Red Sea, who knew we were going to be sitting in a hospital room crying our eyes out, who knew that Livy's life was going to be saved, who knew where we are as a church today. He knew it was going to happen. He saw it. Are we going to be able to trust in God's sovereign plan be still, and then to move, and to keep moving. We've got to keep our eyes on God. Whatever situation that you're in, might be unrelated to anything that, that we're talking about today as a church, it could be you personally, are you going to keep your eyes on God, trust in Him, our Redeemer, our Savior, the one who knows. He knows where you are. He knows where you will be. There is a sovereign plan. And we might not understand it. We might not like it. There is a sovereign plan that God has. Will you trust in that?